Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, what went wrong at FIFA? So, Richard, since our last conversation, we've had uh, federal prosecutors indict 14 people including several top officials at FIFA, the International Soccer Organization, on allegations of racketeering and money laundering, the story about the sort of culture of bribery and then the sort of bizarre development since, which is that the president organization of the organization actually gets reelected and now says that he's <laughs> relinquishing the position. Um, let's start with a question that a lot of people in the in the press are asking. Given that soccer is a sport that's popularity has always been greater elsewhere in the world than here, why should – is there a reason that Americans should care about this story? Well, one of the reasons they should care about this story is that the prosecutions are going to take place in the United States and that there will be extraditions from Switzerland and elsewhere in order to bring people here. Uh, the bigger puzzle to many people is why does the United States claim jurisdiction over this particular mess at all? And, and this is actually a sore point with many people in Europe on a variety of issues unrelated to soccer like the antitrust laws. The basic American position has always been things which have terrible effects inside the United States um, can be um, basically adjudicated here, um, even in criminal cases, if most of the events took place over, overseas or elsewhere. Uh, but in this particular case, they don't even have to go that far because they're the allegations that at least some of these people and at least some of their manifestations of behavior entered into transactions within United States territorial limits. And the fact that somebody else might be able to assert jurisdiction over them as nationals or because of the special connection with Switzerland or whatever – doesn't preclude the American jurisdiction. So I think that when it comes to the criminal case, uh, there are not going to be any serious jurisdictional disputes in this area. On the political case, what it does is has a clear ramification for FIFA, which is many people in FIFA who don't like the internal situation, don't like the American criminal um, investigation. So if there's any American-supported candidate, uh, think of the American support as a kiss of death. And if there's any American who might name might be put forward as a substitute, forget about it. I remember FIFA looks a little bit like the United Nations today. It has about 200 members, many of whom are from third world countries. Uh, the Europeans are outnumbered. Uh, the political dynamics of these particular arrangements are such that anti-American populism often has a powerful influence on these cases. Well, for that reason, what does reform of FIFA look like? I mean, is it just getting the bad apples out or do they need to think about more sweeping sort of structural changes? Well, I think everybody, including members of FIFA, believe that structural changes are clearly called for. In fact, it would be incomprehensible when you have this level of systematic failure not to ask yourself whether or not you have the right distribution of power, both on the way in which things are managed and on the way in which things are inspected after they are managed. One obvious point is that Mr. Blatter is somebody who was elected in um, 1998. He's 79 years old. He was elected for a fifth term. 
Uh, this is crazy not to have a system of term limits in an institution which you know is going to be prone to corruption and bribery because the stakes with respect to the World Cup are so large for a whole variety of reasons. So you have to change the way in which the chief officer is selected, the way the term he could run, the distribution of powers, the members of the particular board. I'm no expert on the internal governance of FIFA, but the basic rule for all corporate governance situation is that catastrophic failures always require that you think about structures as well as persons because the two things are always interrelated. If you have bad structures, you'll either get good people who become bad people, Blatter might have been like that, or you'll get some bad people. It was certainly the case, and I think Everybody knew this, that when they announced simultaneously, mind you, that uh, the Russians would get it uh, in 2018 and that the Emirates would get it in 2022, that there was a deal. Normally, you would stage these things, you know, four years apart. Uh, But if you do that, the dangers for the Emirates was that the Russians would get their half and then everybody would say playing soccer in 120 degrees in the summer is not an idea of fun and they would back off on the second half of this arrangement. So the widespread understanding was that the two things were announced simultaneously uh, because that was the only way in which you could lock in the deal. And this next point, of course, is that now that bladder is out and everything else is known to be corrupt, both those examinations should be reconsidered. Soccer is not something which requires you to build an Olympic boulevard or a village rather. What you need to do is to have a number of world-class arenas that are located at distribution points around the country. You may have to beef up one or two of them, but it's not like trying to put together a whole set of facilities, in most cases at least, um, which will never be used again. So if you take a place like England, you know, they have a large number of stocker fields um, which are perfectly serviceable for a World Cup. There'll be some logistics about it, but I don't think that those things should be regarded as formidable to the point where you're willing to keep the Russian um, emirate deal in place. In fact, I would throw both halves of that thing out. Needless to say, once you do that, it's going to, shall we say, turn up a bunch of stones under which there'll be a lot of very angry tarantulas ready to snap and bite at you. But it seems to me that that's the right way to think about this. There's an interesting wrinkle in this story, Richard, which is that FIFA used a – they hired – brought in a former U.S. attorney at one point before all this came down to investigate themselves and it seems like they basically papered over whatever he found. The full report was never released and he seems to have been largely ignored. But the question for you, had that been more of a good faith effort? Had they acted on – tried to act on some of those recommendations, still had some of these problems, would that have – could that – conceivably be sort of a mitigating factor when these things end up going to court if there was some sign that they had started trying to clean up their own stables? Well, the question is mitigating factors for whom? Um, If it turns out that there's somebody who's going to be charged with insufficient oversight of derelictions of duties, um, bribery and so forth by others, the report might conceivably be of some help. But if you have people exchanging large amounts of cash on international wire or in in bags for all I know, uh, the fact that somebody else in FIFA should have done a better job in looking at a report is not going to be used to mitigate. It might even be used to aggravate it. The theory would be everybody knew that this situation 
was simply terrible and nobody took any steps to prevent it uh, so that now you have people who are not only responsibly directly but other people who are responsible for exercising insufficient oversight over the way in which these particular games and activities have been undertaken. Um, it is very common for people to announce um, external investigations and very common for them to bury them. If you were a traditional, say, American law firm, a large business subject to that kind of situation, generally the ability to have direct threats against you by governments at the state, federal, and local level would mean that these reports would be taken more seriously. But I think part of the problem with FIFA is that it's a law unto itself. It may have headquarters. I guess it's in Geneva. Perhaps I'm wrong about that. Uh, But it turns out that um, in this kind of free-floating situation, uh, nobody is prepared to really give the extensive oversight by way of governance that these things need. Corporations do not run of themselves. I, I'm no fan of the SEC. I, I think in many cases it absolutely goes berserk. But we're not talking here about novel extensions of new forms and newfangled liabilities. You're talking about core duties of loyalty to the organizations, core duties to make sure that you don't take bribe or sell offices or very fancy contracts for the right to hold the games in certain locations. So uh, this is not a case in which the legal theories will be tenuous. This is a case of whom they could get to rat out on whom. There is a standard practice in the antitrust laws that's used elsewhere. You talk first. We don't let you off, but we mitigate your sentence. And then you testify against the other people you bring in. And I think that cycle actually works. And I think it's one reason why Blatter resigned. I think he did not believe that he could survive all of the intrigues. Uh, Whether he took money or gave money... I can't say whether he knew about it seems not certain by any means, but certainly not beyond the pale of adventure or of a possibility. And I think when you get this particular close, you have to leave. And my guess is that the information may well have changed even in four days as he realized that the waters were getting higher and higher around the rails and that eventually his particular boat would be flooded. One of the things that you notice in all the press coverage of this story is that uh, almost all of them have an opening paragraph that explains that nobody was surprised by this story, that it was sort of widely known for a long time (laughs) that this was the way that FIFA did business. I'm curious, Richard, with FIFA and with uh, with other sports, not that it's necessarily the same dynamic, but like in, in American college football, we see instances of corruption and money changing hands f- with some frequency. Boxing famously had these issues for a long time. To what extent do you think these organizations perpetuate this behavior partially because it seems as if their actual fan bases don't much care? Well, it's certainly true that the actual fan bases don't much care so long as there's no bribery. But the fan base does care about what's going to happen in the Emirates. Remember, in order to play it there, you can't do it in the summer. So you're going to have to do it in November and December when it's quote-unquote colder in these locations, which means that for two months you're going to disrupt the major European leagues. And these leagues essentially are stocked with teams, all of whose players at the top level are international players for the countries from once they come. Uh, So you basically have to shut down the entire season because you can't use the uh, May-June format or the June-July format that's commonly used for World Cup. So in this case, the fan base, I think, really does care. It's also, this is completely different uh, from something like the NCAA. That's an organization which has its own serious problems, mainly that, you know, it tries to enforce a complicated set of eligibility rules on various organizations. Um, It tends to pay athletes relatively little money in one form or another. Uh, So they're attacked as being uh, bad employers, as it were, in some of these 
these disputes in which it said that players are really employees if they get scholarships and hence have to be treated differently. Um, and so they are basically a monopolist which keeps the corruption in some sense out of out of joint. So you don't not worried about that. Uh, but their sort of industrial practices have given rise to lots of concern. But there's no sort of comparison between them in terms of its scope or in terms of its behavior relative to FIFA. In fact, the thing that's so distinctive about soccer is it's the only truly international game. I mean, sure, there are you know, 14 nations that play cricket and maybe 22 that play rugby and so forth. But if you're trying to think about both in terms of the prestige and the dollars and the influence, uh, those things are one or two orders of magnitude smaller. And they just don't have the kind of money and influence and power and fame that are associated with them. So they're not going to attract the same kinds of governance problems. Governments don't scale easily. That is, if you have a set of precautions that are good for dealing with a firm that has $100 million, these precautions may be too weak if instead of $100 million, you got $10 billion. At that point, you have to beef up the infrastructure. Sort of like, you know, an ant can carry the square cube law, can carry very, very heavy weights, but when you get somebody the size of a human being and you try to put something four times the size on top of it, it collapses. And governance structures are like ants. They're very good for small organisms, but they're much harder to maintain for larger organizations. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.